You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Welcome, friends, to what is, I think, episode 28 uh, in a series on Christian parenting uh, here on Resurrection Life. So glad to have you back with me. It does not matter how mature or godly you are as parents, or your family is, for that matter, as a whole, uh, there's going to be conflict in your Christian home. And friends, resolving that conflict biblically and well is going to be essential, not only for the harmony of your home, but also for the health of your kids, especially, especially is this the case, when they are advancing well into the second decade of life. I was talking with Ashley uh, recently, uh, and in that conversation, she remembered the moment when she became so utterly exasperated with, well, it was one of our sons, that she walked out of the house and took a stroll uh, through the neighborhood uh, just to get out of his presence. Now, uh, she wasn't relating that uh, to be especially proud of that moment, but it happened, and it wasn't the only moment of its kind. And yes, I did ask her if I could share that. <laughs> uh, she said yes, to be sure. I, for my own part, uh, folks, I cannot begin to count the number of times uh, that I have, for example, gotten exercised in some parental admonition in my home, the conversation, the interaction with my young adult son or daughter finally comes to an end, typically with me having the final word, and my leaving the conversation with the sinking feeling, uh, this is not over. Uh, my final word is not going to be the final word. I've got an apology that I'm going to have to turn, circle back around to give. Uh, conflict is an inevitable part of any Christian home, no matter how godly uh, or mature. And so in this series on parenting, it seems like a good time to, well, I'll call it reviewing the ABCs of biblical conflict resolution. How do we as parents straighten out relational stuff that's gotten snarled due to sin, our sin, the sin of our teenagers, uh, or both? And folks, I'm not going to be saying anything here that's particularly unique to parenting. I'll be applying principles to parenting in this podcast, but um, I am particularly interested in our reviewing and having very clearly uh, in mind what the Scripture teaches about dealing with sin as it arises in the context of relationship. Uh, things that I would say here uh, in this context are the same kind of things that pastors and counselors very appropriately review, for example, in premarital, premarital counseling. Um, you have needed this, parents, from the beginning of your married life, and you really, really need it when your kids are entering the second decade. Here's a couple of reasons before I dive in more extensively why this is so important for parents of teenagers. Uh, number one, unresolved conflicts with teenagers will eventually be devastating to your relationship to them. 
Uh, I've already had occasion to talk about this, uh, but our children in their early years have this wonderful ability to let go of things, even things that we do that are sinful against them. They have this ability to just let go of them. But as they get older, I have observed, they become more like us. They take things personally, and they are even uh, prone to nurture grievances against us when we sin against them. They're like us in that respect. So resolving a conflict with a five-year-old is a far simpler affair than resolving a conflict with a 15-year-old, and that's for the obvious reason, that a five-year-old is a simpler creature than a 15-year-old. When you have adult-like children, you can expect adult-like conflict with all the complexity of sin and so on. Uh, If you see, then, a young man or a young woman uh, who's come to the place where they are deeply embittered against mom or dad. Now, typically there's more than one thing going on, but a common pattern is that countless conflicts have been badly handled. I could say it this way, the road to teenage rebellion is typically paved with a whole series of unresolved conflicts, uh, parents to their sons and daughters. But more encouragingly, (laughs) uh, biblically resolved conflicts with teenagers, brothers and sisters, it's one of the biggest gifts you could ever give to your young adults. Uh, Hear me, the Church of Jesus Christ is full of Christians who do not know how to deal maturely with conflict. We fight like children. It's really quite astonishing. You've all seen something of that. But you can ensure, brothers and sisters, that your children know what it looks like to deal with conflict biblically. They will know what it looks like because they've seen it in you and they've been led in it by you. And so this is what I'm calling one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children, modeling biblical conflict resolution. It's actually one of the most vital parts of your parental instruction. You're teaching your children, even as you resolve conflicts with them, and for that matter, in front of them with your spouse, you're teaching them how to relate, for example, to their peers. You're teaching them how to kiss and make up with their spouses one day. You're teaching them how to be solid employees, Uh, church members, uh, little league coaches or whatever uh, other roles they'll have interacting with others the rest of their days. More good news yet, as I emphasize the importance of this subject, biblical biblical principles of conflict resolution, folks, they're not complicated. We are complicated as individuals. Our kids are. But the principles themselves are not complicated. They are hard to do because of all kinds of sinful things in us, but they are not hard to understand. That should be encouraging. Uh, All of our relationships are this way, and our parental to teen relationship is also this way. Conflict has underlying complexity to it because we're so sinfully complex, but the solutions to conflict, well, They really are quite simple. So I'm going to put them, in the interest of being simple, uh, in terms of three C's. 
the big three C's of biblical conflict resolution, uh, and these are three Christian duties that God places upon us, uh, both to prevent conflict and to resolve conflict that arises. I hope you heard the word duty. Uh, These are not parenting tricks. These are not just, hey, try this. Guys, these are elements of obedience to Christ that we carry out in the home to the great blessing of our own hearts and those of our children, things we're responsible to model to our children, things we are also to expect from our children increasingly as they near adulthood. So the first of the three C's is, of course, confession of sin. So this is a fundamental tenet of the Christian life. Um, If you are repentant of sin, you are responsible not only to confess it to the Lord and receive his forgiveness, that's primary, but it is also fundamental to uh, the Christian faith that you are to confess it to the one you've wounded, the one you've offended, and seek that person's forgiveness. Now, this is elementary, but aren't we all very powerfully tempted when we've sinned publicly in some relational way with other people to merely repent privately? We're just going to take that to the Lord in prayer. We're just going to ask the Lord to forgive us and, uh, and not go through all that other stuff of actually going to our brother or sister, our son or our daughter. Well, uh, you know this, Scripture will have none of that. Proverbs 28, verse 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's Proverbs. Listen to how Jesus mandates this. This is in part what he's talking about in Matthew 5 when he says, so if you're offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So I'm speaking of this first C in terms of confession. And in that term, I'm covering, seeking to uh, include uh, what we would call making an apology or saying you're sorry. I do think, though, that there's some misconceptions around those expressions. So I'm using the big gun Biblical word, confession. Uh, We at Resurrection have every Sunday an element of our Sunday morning worship we call confession of sin, and we are going as a congregation to the Lord and confessing that we have wronged him, and we're asking him to forgive us. And I'm talking about that same dynamic directed now towards those in our homes That we've wronged. What does this confession involve? Well, it's to be something that is sincere and that is humble, and it's an initiative on our part when we are the ones that have wronged our kids. So, parents, um, it involves your initiative, it involves your going to the one who's offended your son or your daughter, Um, going to them and Acknowledging your sin. Sweetheart, 
I was wrong when I raised my voice saying what I did. I showed you that I was angry at you. I was, I was sinning against you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That initiative on the part of the one who has done the sinning to go and confess that to the one he or she has sinned against, folks, that can be so very hard. I call it the paralysis of pride. When you know you ought to go, you know you ought to say, I'm sorry, but there's something in you that just can't bring yourself to do it. I'm amazed at how powerful this paralysis of pride can be in me. It can be that way in me as a husband. I've had some exchange with my wife, and I was one way or another uh, just petty, uh, just snarky, or what have you, maybe worse. And I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, don't even, I, don't, I want to move on. But I know my conscience is telling me I need to say, I'm, I'm, Ashley, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I said that. So it is with our kids. And brothers and sisters, I, I, I almost want to say, if you can actually bring yourself to do this first of the seas, confess, take the initiative to do it, you have taken the biggest step of all. Involves real humility, this confession. Uh, and when I emphasize that, uh, you're going with the purpose of humbling yourself with the words, I was wrong. And you're uh, going to speak of how you were wrong. Confession can be twisted. This little ritual of, of asking forgiveness. Oh, we are so capable, all of us in all of our relationships, with twisting it uh, into, instead of being an expression of our shame for what we did, uh, being an expression uh, of defense, self-defense. Um, instead of acknowledging our guilt, we are tempted to mitigate it. Uh, and so these are confessions that are going off the rails, if you will. Uh, a confession to our sons and daughters needs to be, like with anyone we've sinned against, it needs to be specific, uh, not vague. You know, you could say, Dear, I know I've not been a very good mother today. Well, that may be very true, but can you be more specific? Uh, don't hide behind that vague and general. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I was kind of a jerk, wasn't I, son? Yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's a good start. Can you be more specific about what you're actually convicted about? Uh, confessions leave out the excuses. They are scrupulous to leave out self-excusing words like, I'm sorry I said that. I wasn't trying to hurt you. No, actually, you were trying to hurt. In that moment, there was sin in your heart, and sin was manifested was manifesting itself in wanting to say something to hurt. I shouldn't have lost my temper with you, but I was tired, and you made me angry. Um, is it obvious what's wrong with that so-called confession? Uh, it includes an excuse for what you are purportedly confessing. It certainly doesn't equivocate. This is one of the chief uh, examples of faux apologies. I'm sorry, son, if I offended you when I said that. Well, you know what? You need to get uh, it straight, whether what you said was offensive. 
And you need to actually confess to being offensive. The thing that you said uh, is what you're confessing. Perhaps I was wrong. Maybe I could have tried harder. Come on, guys. We can do better than that as parents, right? Uh, Your teenagers, brothers and sisters, should know what it feels like to have a parent who's an authority over them humble himself or herself before them. They, they should know what that experience is like. Many teenagers leave home having no sense of that. Dad is never wrong, at least in his own eyes. But your your uh, brothers, my, my fellow dads, uh, your kids need to be familiar with this, with the sound of these words. Son, I, w- I was wrong. Well, all of this uh, about confession, I'll simply add, uh, it is uh, a humble and sincere initiative. And when I use the word sincere, uh, when you go to your son or your daughter after you've sinned against them, be sure that your motive is to be reconciled. It's not just to get it off your chest. It's to try to restore the relationship that you yourself have threatened. Uh, So if you just go with a sense of guilt, you're trying to satisfy or or escape that sense of guilt, you'll just be satisfied with saying certain words. But if you go to your son or your daughter in love, desiring reconciliation, then uh, you will say the words uh, that will secure that restored relationship. I said a moment ago that um, the word apology can um, mean many different things um, to different people, and there is a lot of manipulation that actually goes under the uh, guise of apologizing. So I'm sure you've all been on the receiving end of this. Someone is engaging very vehemently with you, and Uh, They uh, pause to apologize when you uh, point something out to them, and it appears that the apology is motivated by the desire to stop talking about their sin, because they've apologized, and to return to yours. Well, uh, that can be a very manipulative form. Confession is simply going, uh, seeking to be restored to your son, your daughter, uh, after you've sinned against them. And parents... We have such an opportunity uh, as we model this uh, to our children. You are, especially if you are parenting uh, young adults, you're in a season where this is so very important. Think about it. Uh, You are called by God to be watchful, a watchful presence in your uh, sons' and daughters' lives, uh, drawing their attention to their sin. That's part of parenting, and that's your job. We've talked a fair amount about that. But if that is your job, especially as your young men and women are seeing more and more, mom and dad have sinned too, uh, it's incumbent upon you uh, to, in front of them, point to your own sin and show them that you're eager to forsake it. What do you call a man who calls for kindness in his son, but himself is a bully as a dad? Well, that's a hypocrite, of course. But what do you call a man who, despite his calls for kindness in his kids, fails 
consistently to live up to this and is from time to time unduly severe, yet humbles himself and confesses his sins to his children when he is that way, contrary to what he's teaching them. What do you call that man? Well, folks, that's a godly father. He's got moral authority in his home, not rooted in perfection, personal perfection, but rooted in an authentic, a true and sincere desire uh, to put into practice the gospel, uh, to live a certain way, and to confess when he doesn't live that certain way. Meekness is not weakness in parenting. It's actually a form of strength. It actually enables you to do your job in calling your sin to obedience, pardon me, calling your sons and daughters to obedience and away from their sin because you are showing them you're doing that as well. I'll add, parents, in this area of confession, you're right to expect this of your sons and daughters. It may be that you are the one who's... uh, First and foremost, responsible to confess your sin in a given conflict because you are the mature one. You're the one uh, more seasoned in the faith. So you take that initiative, rightly so. But uh, you're right to expect the same of your kids. If I were speaking to teens right now, I'd say, brothers and sisters, my younger brothers and sisters, you are of an age where confession of sin should be your own initiative. When you were little kids, Uh, You confessed when mom and dad told you you'd sinned, and you said, you're right, Molly, and you confessed at their prompting, but you're adults now, or young adults now, I'm speaking to sons and daughters, and it is more and more your responsibility uh, to be tending your own heart and to be fulfilling this biblical principle of confessing your sin to your parents. You should beat them to it. When you sin, you should go to your parents uh, with your own confession of sin against them. And um, all the sweeter is the reconciliation uh, when you take that initiative yourself towards your parents. Well, that's what I would say if I had um, teenagers listening to this parenting podcast. So let's move on from the first of the big C's. Let's talk about, after confession of sin, let's talk about covering sin. When we sin, we're to confess it. When we are sinned against, well, we are to forgive it. And one of the words the Scripture uses to speak of everyday, ordinary forgiveness is the word covering. It's also handy because it is another C in my... my, um, my outline here. Uh, I get this in Proverbs, again, chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The same language is picked up in the New Testament. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, So, folks, this word for cover It actually could be translated to hide something or to conceal it or to remove it from sight. And I think this metaphor of covering uh, is drawn from the fact that, well, 
it's not within our human ability uh, to actually remove sin. That's something God does. But there are times when we can simply cover it over. We can let it go, as we say. What's the difference between covering sin and forgiving sin? Well, I would say there's no difference in terms of what happens in your heart. So forgiveness can be given when it is sought, when someone says, please, will you forgive me? Forgiveness can and should be given. Yes, I forgive you. That's a kind of formal reconciliation, and the forgiveness that you are extending to someone in that context is a commitment to them, not to hold that offense against them. It's an actual outward commitment you make to them. That's forgiveness of its most formal kind. But folks, this is informal and the far more frequent kind of forgiveness that we do or that we carry out in relationships that we live a lot of life in. Uh, Forgiveness can be given when it is sought, or you know what? It can just be given. It can be a commitment, a resolution you make, not publicly and formally to that person, but to yourself, not to hold their sin against them. That is, you could call it an informal kind of forgiveness. It's, in biblical terms, covering your brother, your sister, your son, or your daughter's sins. Now, when you do this, Again, these are the ABCs of conflict resolution. When do you cover someone else's sins? Well, you do it when you realize that though their offense is real, it's really sin, it's just not necessary to make a big deal about it. I'll put it that way. You know, folks, some sins are just not that big a deal. In the grand scheme of things, in light of all that we experience in relating with each other in the covenant, uh, some sins are just not that big a deal. We have to simply forget about them. There are things that are too small to bring up to someone else. Proverbs 19, verse 11, seems to have this in mind. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So instead of someone sitting against us and our recognizing that and our dwelling on that and our beginning to be embittered by it towards that person. We cover someone's sins, not by just doing nothing. Covering is a more active thing. Covering involves disciplining our own thoughts and feelings against dwelling on our son or our daughter's sins, in this case. Uh, It really does involve not holding it against them, resolving in our hearts uh, not to dwell on them. We certainly uh, resolve not to exaggerate their faults. We can be helped in that by focusing on our children's good qualities. And all of this is the everyday, uh, rough and ready, living life together kind of forgiveness uh, that we're called to to extend to each other. Parents, um, this is something that you are going to be teaching your children to do to each other. You're going to be talking about these principles as you help them uh, resolve conflicts with each other. And there's going to be times when you say to one of your kids, you know what, you're right, that was wrong for him to do, but can't you, shouldn't you have just covered that? 
I mean, really, you, you've sinned by not uh, being willing to cover his sin. Well, that's the kind of parenting you're doing with children and their relationships to each other. And this, of course, is what we have to model uh, to our kids in our own hearts towards them. By the way, covering sin is not incompatible with faithfully addressing sin in our kids as parents. Uh, I acknowledge that uh, for parental purposes, for mentoring and discipling purposes, uh, there's all kinds of sins we don't cover in terms of our parenting that in terms of our relationship with our children we have covered. Uh, What I mean by that is your heart isn't um, uh, in the receiving of some insult or what have you from your son or your daughter. Your, your heart is capable of covering that, of forgiving that. But, for example, because it's a pattern, uh, you're still going to address it in parenting ways. You're going to bring that, attention, that to the attention of your sons and your daughters. Especially if you have a parent, pardon me, especially if you are a parent of a teen, uh, you are going to have a lot of relational bumps uh, that you're going to have to uh, go easy with. Uh, there's going to be a lot of covering of sin in parenting a son or daughter who's nearing adulthood. Um, there's a lot of things that are not going to merit a response from you. As a matter of fact, if every single um, sign of sin in your son or daughter were something you addressed, uh, it could become a model for them of pettiness uh, in your relationship. Uh, So uh, let me try to put this this way. The kind of parenting that teens especially need uh, is that of moms and dads addressing winsomely the patterns of sin rather than responding, especially in anger, to every single instance of sin. You're looking for the patterns, you're confronting your children with the patterns, uh, and you're willing, as a, a, a mom or dad, to let a lot of things simply go um, because you're, you love your kids and you're willing to cover their sins. Remember that covering is a form of forgiveness. It releases someone from the debt of hurt uh, that they would otherwise owe to you. And by the way, if you're parenting a young adult, uh, you're parenting someone who's acquiring the ability to really hurt your feelings. And um, if you respond parentally out of being personally hurt, well, you won't sound very parental. Uh, You'll sound like somebody who's just lashing out because you are hurt. But we are in a privileged position of doing as God does with us. Uh, We don't even know, do we, uh, the vast majority of our sins to confess them to God. We don't come formally to him and ask him to forgive us for each and every one of the sins we commit against him. What does he do? Well, he has his own covering of sin. And of course, he's the judge as well as our father. And we know what he covers our sins with. It's the blood of our Savior. Parents, uh, this is also something, this covering, that you can rightly expect of your young adult kids. 
towards you. So if I were speaking again to uh, teenage sons and daughters, I'd say to them, guys, covering your parents' sins is of the essence of honoring them as their children. I'd say to young son, uh, young adult sons and daughters, uh, honoring your father and mother involves recognizing that there are some not-so-honorable things in them. They're sinful, and you have a front-row seat to that, but you are in the position, uh, just like they are, of choosing not to dwell on the sins of your parents, of covering them, overlooking those sins. Don't assuming, uh, don't assume a martyr complex. Uh, of course, you don't have patient, uh, perfect parents. Uh, covering your sin, your 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 parents' sins. If I were talking to young adult sons and daughters is really of the essence uh, of honoring them. It needs to be something that you do, not just with your parents and not just with your siblings, but these are, this is the training ground uh, for how you will live with your brothers and sisters in Christ the rest of your life. So the first of the big C's, brothers and sisters, confessing uh, sins of your own. Second of the big C's, covering the sin of others. And now the third of the C's, and that is confronting, confronting in love uh, those who've sinned against you. So in all of our relationships, brothers and sisters, the scripture is very clear. When your brother sins against you, you may not wait for him to eventually figure it out and come to you and apologize. Either you forgive him fully and freely without ever bringing it up, we just talked about that, it's called covering, or or you take the initiative to go to him, to point out to him the sin that he's committed against you in order to be reconciled to him. That's biblical confrontation. The world calls any such things as that uh, self-righteous and judgmental, but the Scripture calls that kind of confrontation love. It's love for a couple of reasons. It's love because that's what's necessary to help other people in our lives who are sinning against us to grow in grace. Uh, Proverbs 27, verse 5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So you can't claim to love someone unless you are willing to wound them faithfully by pointing out their sins, even and in some ways especially when they sin against you, because that brings us to the second reason this kind of confrontation is so much about love. According to the scriptures, it's necessary to preserve a love relationship with those who sin against us. Um, So this is the relational kind of confrontation. I was touching on this a moment ago. We can uh, speak with our kids as parents, seeking to draw their attention uh, to uh, sin. We can also speak to them uh, simply, if it's ever simply this, but at least partially, uh, as those who have a Christian relationship with them. And as such, even though we are mom, dad, they are son, daughter, 
uh, we're still responsible for the sake of that good relationship to go uh, and to seek to gain our brother, even if that brother is our son, for example. Matthew 18 is talking to parents, in other words, as well as everyone else in the church. Parents in relationship with their teenagers, if your brother, your brother could also be your son, um, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Sometimes the offense you've received, folks, from your son or your daughter, is just too hurtful to be merely covered. Maybe you've tried, and despite your best efforts and prayers, you find yourself still dwelling on it and feeling relationally distant because of it. Folks, in that kind of situation, confrontation in love is like cancer surgery, and the relationship is the patient. You are operating in order to remove what is a threat to the relationship. You're going in to seek the sweetness of confession and forgiveness and restoration. You're going in to get your brother back, to save the relationship. In this case, little by little, uh, to preserve the relationship with your son, your daughter. Notice this is not just a loving thing to do. It is a duty when the relationship will not be healed without your going to your brother, you don't have the option anymore of trying to cover their sin. In fact, trying to cover it could actually have the effect of sealing it off, this infection, which inevitably becomes an abscess to carry out the analogy. So, uh, confronting your sons and daughters and their sin for the sake of your relationship, what does that look like? Well, you have got to get past that same uh, paralysis of pride again uh, in order to take initiative to do this. Um, I have found uh, in my checkered past of seeking to do this, I have found that it's typically not best uh, to confront uh, a son or daughter uh, in the moment of the conflict. Maybe I should say it Maybe I should say it this way. It is often better. Let me put it that way. It is often better. Uh, instead of getting hurt in the midst of a conflict and confronting in love or trying to in the midst of that conflict, it is often better to wait and circle back around to that particularly hurtful thing that was said. Maybe at the end of the conversation or even... Um, a time um, uh, later from that conversation. The reason I say that is uh, as we are in parent mode, we are quick to point out sin and to uh, rebuke and reprove and admonish and so on, as we've talked about. But when there's something that's the particularly estranging kind of uh, sin, the kind of sin that that brings uh, alienation, um, it's often a very good thing for our kids to see us circling back around to that, to address it, where it's very obvious. We're not just in uh, lecture mode. 
but we're in, in, in the mode of seeking a good relationship with our kids. Not only that, but sometimes <laughs> there's just been some cool down. That's always a great help. So brothers and sisters, um, humble and sincere initiative, does that sound familiar, is what's required for confronting uh, our children when they have sinned against us. When I st- speak about humble, I, I, I do have in mind in part the fact that very, very often uh, a couple of these C's have to be uh, pursued together. In other words, uh, th- your being hurt didn't happen in a vacuum. You actually have something to confess that you did even as you go confronting in what they did. And so there's humility that's called for, and there's certainly, yet again, sincerity. When I use that word, I'm again talking about the motive, the reason that you are confronting. You're not just going to get something off your chest. You really want to be restored. You really want to have that melting moment of confession and and forgiveness. Parents, model this to your kids. A confrontation, properly done, as an expression of love, is one of your best parental examples to set. There's confrontation that is an expression of irritation and exasperation, to be sure. But then there's confrontation that is an expression of desire uh, to be one, to be renewed in fellowship. Um, The first kind of confrontation uh, is typically one that is spontaneous and emotional and very badly timed. The other kind of confrontation is more thoughtful, maybe even planned, and seeks the best opportunity. You remember how Jesus puts it. He says, not if your brother sins against you, call him out on it. That's pretty reactive. That's not what Jesus says. He says, if your brother sins against you, go to him privately. That sounds so much more thoughtful and intentional. Your kids, brothers and sisters, your kids should have this sense. I'm able to sin against my parents and quote unquote, perhaps get away with it in the moment. Sometimes because my parents love me and they don't react to everything I do and say in sin against them. They cover my sin. But in many cases, it's just going to be a matter of time, and dad or mom are going to be circling back around. They're going to come back. They're going to be doing that Matthew 18 thing. They're going to come to me privately, and we're going to talk about what I said. That's a healthy thing for your, parent, um, for your kids uh, to uh, recognize. And your uh, brothers and sisters, you're right to expect the same from your kids. Now, here's where I might surprise you if I were speaking just here to adult, young adult sons and daughters. I'd be saying to them, you too have this third C that's part of your duty. You're to confront in love your parents when they have sinned against you. But I would very quickly and emphatically add only in ways that are consistent with your honor to them. So if I'm talking to teenagers 
I will be saying to them, this is a dynamic that you have grown into as well. There are times when your parents may well hurt you, and they are not coming to you with an apology, and it's becoming a source of great pain, even bitterness, and it's right. As a matter of fact, it's your duty to go to your mom, to go to your dad, and say, I was really hurt when you said such and such to me. And going to your mom, going to your dad, uh, with that kind of loving confrontation, uh, is... uh, it is it is vital to the preserving and the restoring of your relationship with your parents. I would also say, Paul gives some pretty clear admonition to people who are confronting in love someone for sin who is in a position of honor in their lives. So 1 Timothy 5, actually Paul's talking to a pastor here. He says, do not rebuke an older man. But encourage or entreat or appeal to him as you would a father. So that's a good model for young men and women going to their parents to point out how they've been hurt by their parents. Uh, there is a way of speaking to a parent uh, that's never appropriate, no matter how much they've sinned against you. Uh, but there is a way full of honor for your parents to point them to sin as you see it they've committed against you matter of fact teenagers are entering a season of life when they are able to be a blessing to their parents in even that way of showing them where they've sinned against their sons and daughters but you have to carry yourself with deference in all of this to those who are your superiors in the old-fashioned way of speaking those who are over you Uh, in authority. Well, my friends, uh, whether you're in a parenting relationship with teenagers, whether you are in a marriage relationship, whether you are in church relationships or best friend relationships, any kind of relationship, these are the three disciplines of the Christian life that preserve relationship in the midst of multiple conflicts, confessing our sins to each other, covering one another's sins, and confronting one another in love in order to regain the relationship. I'm going to wrap up here with pointing out which of these three C's in my judgment is most missing in the church and in the home of our day. Folks, it's the third C. Humble and sincere initiative to go to someone who's offended you. Friends, can I just say I am amazed at how juvenile so many otherwise mature Christian adults are in this area. Clearly, they have become offended by a brother or a sister. They're growing in bitterness over that offense, but they will not obey one of Christ's clearest commands for living in covenant with each other. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Uh, I have sat with such individuals who acknowledge that they're offended. They acknowledge what the Scripture requires, and they have said, essentially, I'm not doing it. Reasons vary. Uh, too much pride, because, of course, pride says, no, he offended me. He should be the one coming to me. Selfishness. Selfishness says, I'm already hurt, and I risk running more. 
I, 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 there's a risk of, of being hurt more if I go. Sometimes it's just stubbornness. If I go, there's possibility that in the process, my own sin will become more clear. Uh, there's no shortage, don't get me wrong, of carnal confrontationalism in the church, people mouthing off, having their say about all kinds of perceived wrongs. I fully acknowledge that. But the kind that is truly motivated by a desire to regain a brother is exceedingly rare. You know what I want to say now as I wrap up talking to parents. Parents, you want your children to outgrow their juvenile ways. You want to lead them in all three of these C's, if you will, confession, covering, and confronting in love. And as you do that, brothers and sisters, again, you are giving them one of the greatest gifts of a Christian home. Well, that's enough for today's episode on Conflict Resolution 101. Next time, Lord willing, I'm going to turn uh, to the matter of wayward teens and uh, see if I can uh, step through some of those uh, painful experiences that parents uh, very often go through. Uh, But for now, uh, I am recording this on the eve of yet another Easter Sunday coming right up. Brothers and sisters, I'll say again, uh, don't be discouraged. Your parental labors are not in vain. Take heart. Christ is risen. You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us.